0: Hey, this is Mike Bob and I'm a guy who used to make things, and sometimes I still do. These days, I prefer making podcasts, and I have a new one called Soundtrack to My Life. On this podcast, I talk to different creative people about the music that shaped them. Sometimes the conversations are funny, and sometimes they're just kind of sweet. I love that Pina Colada song. Yeah, I do. Rihanna has had a huge impact on my songwriting. I'm diving into the ocean, finding that one fish that has the toxins, and I'm just drinking those toxins all day. Maybe they're saying, like, you should now go forth and rock. It's like a peace be with you situation. we also have a playlist called F-Gems. 1-10. (laughs) Just in case. We danced to a jazz
1: version of My Favorite Things.
0: Soundtrack to My Life. It's available exclusive on Spotify. It's a scloosey. I'm going to try to make that word take off. It's a music plus talk show, meaning I can play songs in their entirety. So think of this as an interactive playlist with some of the coolest creative people I know. And you should know, too. Soundtrack to My Life. A Spotify scloosey. Hi, I'm Mike Bobbitt. I am a lot of things. I'm a comedian, I'm a podcaster, I'm a writer, an actor, and a storyteller. But most of all, I'm a dad now. Movies were an important part of my childhood, and I'm hoping they'll be an important part of my kids' childhood, too. So through this podcast, I talked to my friends about movies that were important to them when they grew up, and I also talked to my friends who were parents about their experiences introducing their own kids to movies. This is Movies for Kids. Kids. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever go up. Sometimes I wonder if I know it's me. I know it's me. I am talking to one of my friends that I made in Los Angeles who runs the best comedy show that I've ever been a part of. I got to do Uh a lot of the really big shows that people are excited to do. I I performed in all three rooms of the comedy store. But the show that my friend Samantha Hale produces at a gay bar in West Hollywood Uh was the most fun because I was so used to being in an environment where if I was doing a showcase show, I would be one of 12 straight white guys on a lineup. But every single show I did for you, I feel like I was the only straight white guy. And I love that so much. (laughs) You're an amazing comedian and an amazing producer, too. How did you get into comedy, first of all?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for all the kind words. I'll pay you later. <laughs> it's really
0: sweet. Well, you're, you're amazing. Oh, thanks. And you know, you just came out with an album last year and you're just, you're a, a go getter and, but you, you not only are doing things for yourself, but you create these opportunities for other people too. And you're really good at both the business oh. and the showmanship side of this
1: thank you i mean that's definitely an incredible compliment because it's very hard to figure out how to make a living doing comedy how to make any money at all doing comedy you know how to have regular gigs doing comedy that's that's a a real feat in and of itself let alone being you want to be a good comedian as well yeah but, I mean, that's part of it, too, is that if you're – because I usually host my own shows. And at one point, I think I had four different shows running. And uh, when you're hosting that many shows, it, it like, it gets you strong. It keeps you really sharp. You have to – and you get so comfortable because you're just like, all right, well, let's do this. I know exactly what to expect. And, and sometimes you don't know what to expect, and that makes you even stronger because you have to – you know, if, if you're in a, a gay bar in West Hollywood – you never know what kind of crowds you're going to get. Sometimes you're going to get really incredible, supportive, paying attention crowds. Sometimes you're going to get the bachelorette parties who walk <laughs> in and think it's all about them. Oh yeah. Bachelorette parties are a drag queen's nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes they're really lovely. But sometimes it's just oh my god, shots! Look at us! It's all about us. And it's like, sweet straight girl, you're in a gay bar. <laughs>
0: if there's ever a situation where it's not about you, bachelorette, this is it.
1: <laughs> right, right. But I really, really enjoy. I mean, I'm I'm very, very lucky to be working within the LGBTQ plus community. Absolutely. And so many of my closest friends and uh, the comics who I work with a lot happen to be. Uh, gay artist which is fabulous so i just i don't try not to book straight men but it's just like y'all have so many shows where it's 12 of you and one girl and maybe one gay guy so i uh i tend to to reach out more to gay comedians not at all but also like i just kind of reach out to who i think who i think is funny mm-hmm. and who i think is going to do well in the room and i've had Many, many incredible straight men come in and have counter steps, yourself included. Um, and, and, and it's great. I love when that happens, but I also love, you know, giving women and, and, and trans artists and all kinds of different people from different walks of life who might feel more comfortable in a gay bar and it might be more welcomed than, you know, at a, at a super, super conservative straight show where it's all the same white guy talking about the same thing.
0: Yeah. You know? The last show I did for you. I was scared to death. After having done shows for you for a couple of years, you had me closing it after a crowd favorite or a bar favorite. She was a black drag queen. Oh,
1: did you follow Jasmine Masters?
0: Yeah, she destroyed. And uh, yeah, it had been a very long time since I was so uncomfortable going up on stage. Like, how do I, the voice of mediocrity, (laughs) follow this fabulous performer? And, uh, I think I went up and just kind of said, finally, we get to hear what a straight white guy thinks about the world. And I think just addressing the elephant in the room, everyone's like, okay, he gets it.
1: That was so funny. That yeah. killed. See, that's the thing is that you were aware of the situation and, and the room and, and you, and you played it beautifully. There's only been a couple of times. I've only had two straight guys come onto the show and not do well. Um, the first one was because he was trying too hard to fit right. in. He was trying to do the gay jokes and trying to do this. and then he and then that wasn't working. So then he started getting kind of angry and dude you're not helping yourself because yeah. it, had he just gone up and done his set as if he would do anywhere else, he would have been great because he's a very funny guy. yeah, but um, people they get intimidated, they get in their head. And, uh, and, and like audiences, the gay audiences are very smart and they just want you to do your thing. Do you, don't try to pander to them, do what you're going to do. Cause if you're being inauthentic, they will know the crowd will know. Yeah. And then the other guy who came in, he just got really nervous and it didn't go well, but he asked me, you know what? I think I kind of want to try. I said, you know what? Come back. You're a great comeback and just (laughs) do what you would do in any other room. And he's like, are you sure? I'm like, I'm sure. Just come back. And sure enough, he did. He did his normal set and he crushed and he felt so good about it because he was like, oh, I just have to be myself.
0: Okay. I think there's a difference between understanding the situation of the room and appreciating it. Like I. Sure. I looked at it as an opportunity like, well, let's see if my thoughts will translate to an audience that maybe doesn't have the same frame of references that I have as a straight white male. Right. You are like me, a huge like music is really, really important to you, too. What made you decide on comedy more so than music
1: right well i mean long story short i um uh, years ago i was making documentaries on mm-hmm. music like the importance of music the therapeutic value of music and i made the first one it was called math and music and it was amazing such a great experience and then i decided okay i'm gonna do another one and i did uh, the other one and it was just one of those things where everything that went wrong could i mean oh. we had to we shoot a lot of things we had uh, it took forever a lot of the sound had issues and so we got people to come on board we were it was really like two of us really doing it um we had a couple people jump on board and help us but uh because they were doing it kind of as a favor and we weren't paying them much we kind of had to work around their schedule yeah so the, the guy who was uh his name's Jeff Kaplan he's amazing Jeff who was like sound designing, basically cleaning up all of the things that uh, needed to be clean, cleaning up. And he helped us kind of redirect the story. He really added so much to the film. But the problem was is that he works on Law & Order SBU mm-hmm. and Chicago Fire. So when NBC was like, hey, we need you, they would lock him down for most of the time and he wouldn't see daylight. He'd be in right. the studio, you know. So while I was waiting, I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll just do stand-up kind of as a hobby. It was just kind of like, this is kind of a fun thing to do. And then as I started doing it more, as I was waiting for the documentary stuff to go through, I kind of fell in love with it and decided to keep going with it.
0: Yeah. Most of the people I met while I was out there were transplants like me, but you are a proud born and raised Hollywood kid. Um, I am. I was always very curious to begin with of... Like, I have a certain relationship with movies growing up. Like, I could watch E.T. and be transported to this magical place without looking, you know, (laughs) to the mountains near Burbank and go, you know, oh, it was just shot over there. Or, you know, I can watch Poltergeist and not drive through Simi Valley and go, oh, that house, (laughs) you know. But you not only have a different relationship because you grew up, like... The house from Nightmare on Elm Street is literally around the corner from Mickey's where you run the show. And, um. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but on top of that, you come from. Showbiz royalty, like you are the Drew Barrymore stand-up comedy in a
1: way. Oh, my God. I'm so <laughs> not, but thank you.
0: <laughs> your grandpa, which I discovered, I think you posted like a, a flashback photo or, or maybe for Father's Day or something like that, right? I didn't even put it together, but your grandpa is Alan Hale Jr., the Skipper from Gilligan's Island. That's right. Like I can do things like watch Michael Keaton movies and lose myself in them. But is it a thing where, like, anytime you see a Michael Keaton movie, you're like, "Oh yeah, that guy worked with my grandpa"? Or are you able to suspend your disbelief?
1: Oh, I definitely think about that for sure. And I love Johnny Dangerously. I have
0: it. Well, I would hope so. Well,
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's such a fun theme. Uh, I just watched it not long ago, actually. Yeah, no, I mean, it's weird because it's so normal to me. Like, I've never known anything different other than having a grandfather and a great-grandfather who were yeah. celebrities. But I'm also removed from it in a sense that everybody in my family who was working, they have all passed away. So yeah. that's kind of old Hollywood. And mm-hmm. this is new Hollywood. People kind of assume that I have direct connections and that I'm gonna. it must be so easy for me if I wanted to be an actor, I could. And that was not the case. I certainly tried, and whenever I would tell a, a producer or a casting director, they would say, oh, that's so cool, and then nothing would happen, you know? Yeah. Um, so nobody is alive to directly help me. So I'm kind of on my own just as if, as everybody else is, but it is really, really exciting to just be watching TV and have, and it's happened quite a bit where where I don't know if my grandpa's out watching over me or whatnot, but... There have been a couple times where I was just not having a good day or I was just feeling really off and really awful. And I would turn on the TV, and it would happen to be uh, the episode of Andy Griffith, where my grandpa played a farmer. <laughs> yeah. You know?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: It's pretty cool. I mean, and I have people all the time will say, oh, I was watching, you know, Turner Classic Movies, and I saw your great-grandpa, and I, he was in this movie. I'm like, oh, cool. They, they know my grandpa's resume better than I do. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, I have so many amazing pictures around the house and memorabilia. I mean, I've got, like, a little Gilligan's Island corner where I have stalls of my my grandpa and there's a picture of my great aunt who was his sister uh her name was karen Hale wookie Mm -hmm. karen uh was a script supervisor and so i have a picture of her from all the president's men where she's working with robert redford and justin hoffman oh wow yeah i mean i still feel like a fan of them as well you know i mean i was very young when when everybody passed away but i do have some memories here and there.
0: Did your parents do show business stuff too or?
1: No, my dad kind of dabbled in it when he was a teenager, but mm. he, it he wasn't really his thing. And I don't think he wanted to be in his dad's shadow. Yeah. So he he didn't really pursue it. Um And then my mom's side, my mom's side, they were dancers actually. Like my oh. great grandma on my mom's side was in the Ziegfeld Follies. Okay. Yeah. Which is funny because I don't dance at all. Like at all.
0: what kind of entertainment did you grow up with as a kid then
1: i watched scary movies way too young probably the one that ruined my childhood was stephen king's it with tim curry (laughs) i saw that way too young and it gave me the most atrocious, awful awful night terror nightmares it was really bad but i still love scary movies um but that was the one that really messed me up but i watched those and then i watched my dad and i loved all the arnold Schwarzenegger movies like we were big on predator and Commando, oh, wow! yeah
0: total recall are there any movies or tv shows you think i should show my son to maybe kind of start nurturing an all-inclusive mindset in him
1: oh goodness that is a great question that i feel like i should think about i mean you know it's rupaul's drag race it's really incredible how wide of an audience that has reached yeah that's become really exciting that to just to think that um, you know, some of my friends doing what they do, they wouldn't have been able to leave their house without getting threatened, you know, or, or being made fun of
0: or worse. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Or worse. And now it's just the coolest thing, you know, and people are very excited by it, but I don't know. I'm trying to think of, I, I don't know. I mean, you could certainly look up gay filmmakers. You yeah. could look up. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there, you can go on Netflix. And and there's an entire genre for like LGBTQ artists.
0: Yeah, I don't um, know that I'll be showing him pink flamingos anytime soon. But you know,
1: I mean, yeah, yeah. because that's the, uh, that's the thing. I'm like, it also kind of depends on how strict you are with your kids. Like, yeah. if, it, if it all has to be like PG, then you might want to wait until they get a little bit older. Because there, of course, will be you know adult themes and maybe some language in it.
0: Hairspray is is perfect for any Hairspray, age. Hairspray, sure, yeah.
1: But if you think about it, like a lot of you know, there the cult cult classic movies that are huge in the gay community are also huge in the straight community. Like, look right. at Grease. You know, everybody. Oh, like yeah, grief. yeah, yeah.
0: My wife grew up with Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. So you know, yeah,
1: that's a fantastic movie. That yeah. would be a great movie. Yeah. It just kind of depends on on how old your kids are and if you want them to see, you know, uh, like nightlife, being in a bar scene, kind of drinking and swearing it, – it, you know, I'm trying to think of. I don't even know family-friendly movies like in general. So if you're asking right. me for a gay family-friendly movie, I don't know. I watch all horror
0: movies. That's all I watch. So. <laughs> me too. <laughs> yep.
1: I mean, if you want to, if you want to have like kind of, you know, a scary movie that's been celebrated in the community, check out the Babadook. That's a great movie. Yeah, I but know. I don't know if you want a five-year-old to watch it.
0: We own it, and <laughs> I think maybe when we're all stressed out, we'll just watch Babadook and say, "See, Benji, don't make us manifest a Babadook." Well, Samantha, thank you so much for talking to me today. I very welcome. I value our friendship so much, and I yeah, value the too. opportunities you gave me so much. And I feel like I really grew a lot as a person living out there, largely because of opportunities that people like you gave me, where... I got to step outside of my comfort zone and learn more about the world than what was just inside my little safety bubble.
1: Well, next time you come back, I'll book you again, but you'll
0: have to do it in high heels. How about that? Oh, sold. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You are an amazing comedian, an amazing producer, and most importantly, a wonderful human being. So thank you so much, Samantha. Thank you. I
1: appreciate it.